The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War coaches. Hi folks, welcome back to part two of The Art of War. Uh, this podcast aims to help you become a better player at 40k. This is just all about helping you improve in your game by going through lists and then learning how to play them with the best players in the world. My name's Steve Joel. I'm your host along with John Lennon, fresh back from the LVO. And uh, look, I know things didn't pan out how you wanted them to, but you had to, you made a massive comeback after that round one. We have to address it, John. We have to do it. You had round one. It didn't go out how you wanted. But then the next five games... You know, those custodies really, really did turn out to be the army you thought they would be, right? Yeah, definitely had a disappointing round one. Unfortunately, took a, a an early loss to Matt Evans, a recent guest of our podcast, no less. Um, definitely uh, took it on the chin from the Crusher Stampede. Uh, one of the reasons that I liked custodies was that I thought that they had a decent chance against Crusher Stampede, as well as having a good matchup into everything else across the field. Uh, unfortunately, uh, kind of got behind the eight ball early in game one where his turn one uh, and two against my turn one and two were really, really massive blows that uh, by the time I recovered from, I think I was just a little bit too far down on the scoreboard, which uh, is unfortunate when it happens. But, uh, you know, I was determined not to, uh, you know, simply drop after uh, an embarrassing early loss. So I, I pushed ahead, uh, finished out five and one of the custodies. I think they are quite powerful still. Um, I think that uh, having just a little bit more practice in some of those tougher matchups for uh, when the dice betray you, knowing how to best get out of it, um, I think uh, would have been beneficial for me. But you know what? Uh, some experiences are hard earned, even if it is at LVO. Yeah, well, and when we can talk custodies in more depth in a future podcast, we are here with the winner of LVO and the winner of the ITC for 2022, Richard Siegler. Am I right in saying this is it's your second win, right? 2019 and then 2022. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I did end up winning the uh, 2019 season, which was my first season competing uh, for competitive 40k. So I won LVO, then won the ITC, and uh, this time got to do it again. Yeah, only nice six work. events nice. this time. Yeah, look, I did, look. My brain is too small to understand. I haven't really taken a good look at how uh, ITC scoring works. Um, so maybe we can deal with that another time as well. But six events, that was all you needed to get the job done, right? So let's talk about this list of yours. Uh, folks, if you haven't yet listened to part one for some reason, if you're doing this in reverse order, you need to go back, listen to part one of the episode in which Richard talks us through uh, all of his lists and the relics, the amazing relics that are in that list and uh, the war traits and why each unit is in there. And we even covered things like what he would drop and what would get included. And also we talked about looking forward in the new mission CA 2022 uh, how that would change your list and how he would approach that as well. So we've kind of done all of that. If you missed it, go listen. This part two of this episode featuring Admech and the Mars uh, Army of Renown, the Skatari veteran cohort. This is all about how it plays into specific matchups. And this is where John Lennon comes in and you're going to be able to take us through, John, some of what Richard faced at LVO and maybe some of the other armies that he might not have come up against. But, but you know, how this list would do into those as well. We can theory hammer it, or maybe it's armies that Richard's practiced against. So where are we going to start? Well, whenever we're doing an Imperium army, I never like to start with Imperium. So uh, I'm actually going to take us through some of the Xenos armies first. Um, 
You know, first thing actually is what I want to start with is uh, just Dark Eldar. Um, I know that uh, Dark Eldar have been, along with Admech, probably the biggest bullies of uh, the past season. Definitely it was an army that, on the one hand, it felt like it was in one of the best spots coming into LVO. On the other hand, it kind of felt like everyone and their mother had a big target against Thick City, where everyone was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready for Thick City. I need to make sure I can beat it. Uh, and it's actually the last army that you took to an event. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's talk about it. First up, uh, did you play against Thick City? I seem to recall that your round seven against Mr. Anthony uh, did include some uh, some Drukari. Uh, were there any other Drukari matchups for you? Yeah, I played uh, round six and round seven. I played Drukari. The first one was more of a typical kind of MSU Drukari build, more with more raiders, um, more you know Trueborn, etc. Those still some of the same characters. And then in round seven, I played against Anthony Vanilla himself, the uh, the founder in chief of the Thick City build, with all the Talos, the Chronos, all minus one damage, racks, so and the grotesques, of course. So. I played against both variants. Obviously, um, I have all the experience in the world against the MSU Jakari build. I've been playing against it for months. And on player plays terrain, I really favor Admech in that matchup. A well-played veteran cohort. If you don't bring any any of the uh, counter-assault in the combat and the Rust Stalkers, then I think it is actually still a tough matchup. But with the counter-assaults, um, forcing them to commit in the front, in you know, into your Ranger Brick or into whatever you have screening... You're just you're picking up all sorts of stuff, and it's just hard for them to charge in there. So I think that matchup favors Admech in general, and I just have so much experience playing in that playing that uh, type of list that it was just second nature. So I played uh, on the War Games live stream against Daniel Olivas, lovely gentleman, and I was able to set up terrain in such a way that I had a lot of firing angles, and then I kind of switched scouring into a more of a Dawn of War setup and just played around the shooting elements that he had. And just got away from the combat while controlling objectives. So I, I like that play style for uh, for Admech against the typical MSU Jukari build. Just try and find avenues where they have to trade a lot more resources than they want to. And then once you have that advantage, just make sure you maintain it. Now against uh, Thick City, it's different because that army is actually very durable. And Admech, even though they can put out a lot of damage, it's still not going to pick up a lot of that army in a single turn. So uh, playing against Anthony, I know he's an aggressive player. And boy, he did not disappoint. Turn one, moves it, he gets first turn, moves advances everything up the table. We're playing on overruns, so Dawn of War. And pretty much puts his whole army in the middle of the table, except for the Raider, which he moves 22 inches across the board. It's Blackheart, so we can advance and charge. Charges it into my Ranger Brick. It has the Court of the Archon in there, along with Drazar and his Archon. And boy, what a move that is. So... I could have tried to wrap this here, but he did tag the Rangers, and I don't have access to Artisans, which lets me fall back and shoot and charge. If I had that, I would have wrapped it with the Rangers and then uh, prevented him from disembarking from it. However, I didn't have that tool, and my Rustalkers were kind of more on the other side of the board, and I didn't want to commit them with all these grotesques about to come and hit me. So instead, I was like, I need to pay patient here, and I need to make sure that the characters are going to go into something that isn't that valuable. They ended up going into the Scorpius tank, which was excellent because it seems scary on paper, just like the Iron Striders, and it did nothing that game. So perfectly fine trading that uh, for his two characters, which put them closer to my Rust Stalkers and allowed me to pick both of them up the next turn. In addition, what came up in this matchup was heavy cover on the Giant Ruin. And heavy cover is plus one to your saves um, in combat. And guess what? Rangers, when they have ignore AP one and two and plus one to their saving throws from the Doctrina, are now taking two up saves against uh, grotesques in combat. And Anthony came in, hit a ranger brick with two grotesque units, and killed 
four or five models. Um, it was something insane. And then I rolled exactly a six to fail the leadership on there and then rolled something like seven ones on my, uh, my, uh, my test, my combat attrition test. And that actually brought the unit below half. But if, if I didn't roll that man was his turn looking poor. Uh, so from there, I just played around. I put all my guns down range, got rid of the Talos early, let the Cronus survive. And that was important because it opened up a charge play with my Rangers, which people don't normally expect, but boom, charge the Rangers in. I get onto his half of the board. I start putting my big obsec Ranger unit on his objective, giving him fives, forcing his obsec to come off his home objectives. And in the process I was, you know, wrapping his homunculus. So he had to deal with it in combat and that ended up swinging the game in my favor. So you got to see a lot of things. Like I, I still typically play a shift um, board type of situation where my opponent puts his aggression in the middle of the table. What I want to do is leave one of the flanks. That flank's going to get crushed, but at the same time, I am now going to, in this case, it was Dawn of War. I'm changing it into Hammer and Anvil, and I'm going to go up his side of the table now. And I did this against a lot of the aggressive armies I played, almost every single game that I played. And it just so happened that this was a Dawn of War setup, so I changed it into Hammer and Anvil. And by getting those rangers onto his home objective, I was able to swing the game back in my favor, even though he put so much pressure on me. Can I ask you, you were talking about uh, those characters going into the tanks. Mm -hmm. uh, how many players see the things like the, the Iron Striders and they see the Scorpius tanks and they are really worried about those, so they become almost like a distraction kind of thing. So you're using them, you, you're feeding them because you don't care, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, but, the, but the opponent cares, so they think they're doing a great thing killing them. Yeah, because it's an indirect, you know, everybody's afraid of indirect right now. you got Hive Guard all over the place. You're about to have a bunch of Tau indirect everywhere. People fear the indirect, and they don't... Anthony did not want me shooting down range, picking off his five racks on the objective, and then giving him fives on primary, and forcing him to bring something like a Talos or Kronos back onto those objectives. So he wanted none of that. He wanted to take care of the Scorpius tank. But as we saw in the late game, the Scorpius tanks barely kill uh, racks. So, or at least when I, when I roll for them. So... What ended up happening was he picked Assassinate, and instead of letting him get that playoff where Drazar or the Archon could have snuck in and tried to snipe one of the characters, I used one. I traded one of the Scorpius tanks away and positioned it such that it prevented any characters from being charged that turn. And I was willing to make that sacrifice because I knew picking up both characters uh, with my Rust Stalkers would swing the game back in my favor, even though he put so much aggression on me because those characters are just scary. They kill everything. And the fact that he didn't go into the Ranger Brick with heavy cover meant that a lot more models survive than otherwise would have. All right, brilliant. So when you're, um, you know, approaching this, the Dark Eldar matchup, um, I'm curious actually with, you know, with Anthony, when he's running at you and your game plan is already, you know, he's going to break through at some point, I'm going to try to, you know, uh, sneak up this side, you know, away from the breakthrough point. How do you go about preparing that? Because obviously he runs at you turn one, you're not on your turn one trying to run, you know, mm -hmm. past him onto his objectives. Uh, do you like try to focus your target priority to make sure that yeah. you're, you know, picking on the side you're going to try to punch through early? Um, how do you prepare for that before you make the move? Exactly. So I, I did both things you suggested. So the first thing that I did was accept that the two grotesque units were just going to hit me on that side of the board. In addition, I needed to kill the raider um, so that the characters were out and had a little bit less mobility. And I wanted to finish off the court because I didn't want bodyguard on my home objectives messing with my points. So... I prioritized, what did I have to do? Well, I want to whittle down the Talos on my half of the board, the, ha board, the half of the board that I want to kind of switch into Hammer and Anvil and go towards. 
I'm not going to run directly into six Talos. It needs to be more like two Talos, and then I'm willing to go that way. So that's what I did. I put the big guns down into the Talos, and I did get it down to two single Talos. Great. That was achieved. And then on the other hand, accepted that the Grotesque were just going to make charges next turn, killed the Raider, killed the Court of the Archon. I believe the last Urgle fled in morale and left it so that there were just two characters and the Grotesques on that side of the board as the main pressure. And that I can deal with. The Rustalkers can deal with that. I can put shooting into the Grotesques and finish off the characters in combat. So I knew I was going to be able to clear this eventually. Um, the Kronos, I had to accept they were going to do some plink damage, but whatever, they're not a main threat. I need to get rid of the Talus first, followed by setting up a plan where these characters are going to die. And so because of that, I just ignored a bunch of really scary Grotesques, but I did so knowing that my Ranger unit was going to be in heavy cover and be able to take a lot of that damage um, and survive on my objective. So... I accepted that that I had to make some trades here, had to give up the Scorpius, um, and um, I also was preparing that the next turn I finish off the two Talos units, I shoot down into the Grotesques, send a Rostocker unit to finish off the characters, and then from there I uh, start moving up the other flank. Um, and that's exactly what ended up happening in that game. I kind of like pre-planned it already knowing what his first movement phase was. That's, that's when that plan came to fruition. So knowing that the Drukari were going to be aggressive there, um, out of curiosity, actually, who went first in that game? Was it you or Anthony? Anthony went first and just put everything. He moved advance everything in the middle. His whole army was out in line of sight, practically. Gotcha. Okay. If you were to play against an opposite style Drukari list, you know, say someone who favored the corners, um, when if someone goes second and is trying to play that more conservative game, how much does that alter your game plan when the Drukari player is not being aggressive? Not too much because um, essentially what would happen in that case is whoever has bottom of the turn, which was me in this case, is going to get the 15 because I'm going to have most of my resources alive and I'm just going to save CP that I with the Rangers, I can use a one CP advance and charge. Uh, that turn, I'll basically give them plus three inch move. So they'll move nine, they'll roll an advance roll and they'll make a charge move. And at that point, they'll be in the middle of the table and I'm going to go ahead and give that player a zero, uh, one of the turns. I might even do it two turns with both Ranger Bricks because I don't need my guns at that point. I'm just going to win on the mission because I already mm -hmm. scored my points. So if they play defensive, um, and this happened against a couple players where they kind of just sat back and allowed me to pick away at what I could, and then I use my Rangers aggressively turns four and five, uh, even if they took no prisoners, because, yep, at the end of the day, it's it's three points between the two of them, almost four points on no prisoners, but they still have to kill finish off those whole units. And I'm going to go give them uh, primary points they can never get back. So instead, I set up advance and charge obsec plays against those defensive players. I should have asked this in part one, but it's relevant here too. What secondaries are you usually taking uh, when you're lining up? What secondaries have you built the list around? And did that change into this uh, Thick City matchup? So I kept them pretty consistent. I almost always take Stranglehold. That's just an automatic. And then Retrieve Octarius was very typical. I believe I took banners once or twice, but against a lot of these aggressive armies in the meta, I didn't want the risk of them taking it down, you know, turn two, turn three, and then I never get to re-raise them besides the final turn. So instead, I like Retrieve Octarius because it puts it more in my hands, and I get to kind of force those screening elements like to, like I talked about in the first part. And then for the third secondary, that was the one that depended on my opponent's army list. So I sometimes pick Bring It Down, sometimes it was No Prisoners. I never pick Assassinate because I'm... Typically, um, I just don't really want to rely on having to kill my opponent's characters, even if they're going to be aggressive with them. Because if things go wrong and I just don't get the points there, that 
that those are points I can't get back elsewhere. So typically I like, you know, with no prisoners and bring it down, they're going to use those units at some point. If I hide all of their targets for those secondary points, I'm just going to win the primary. Uh, but with characters, you can kind of play a little more defensive with them or keep them safe and wrapped um, and prevent it from being charged. So I'm a little more cautious about picking assassinate. Um, I never pick grind them down or to the last with admech. And um, so I use the other secondaries that I potentially use are the admech specific ones. And I used uncharted sequencing, which is in battlefield supremacy category. I used it once, I believe. Um, that was in fact against Anthony. Because overrun is a mission without center objectives, and the ones on your half of the board are very close to your deployment zone, it's exceptionally hard to get stranglehold on that mission, unless you are a supremely aggressive army with a lot of obsec trading pieces. And I don't have a lot of those here, and I don't want to use them early. So I wasn't doing stranglehold there. Well, what am I going to do? Engage? My army really isn't built to do engage. Uncharted sequencing. And what this is, is pregame, you go ahead and um, write out on your army list all the objective markers, and you assign a battle round number to them. And so what I did was I numbered one, two, three in my deployment zone and one object, and then two objectives on Anthony's side of the board, uh, four and five. And it just so turned out that the side that I wanted to kind of create into Hammer and Anvil and move towards his objectives was my turn four objective that I wanted to control for uncharted sequencing. So not only did my shooting plan line up with that, but also my points plan lined up with that. And uh, that's the only, re I believe that's the only game I took it. The other admech specific secondary I took is in the second category, No Mercy, No Respite. And that's called Eradication of the Flesh. If I kill more infantry models in my opponent's army than they kill of vehicle models in mine, I in, or vehicle units, sorry, I end up getting three points. And this is extremely good against MSU armies because it's really hard to go after my Iron Striders and my Scorpius tanks when there's all these Rangers and Rust Stalkers about to hit you. Um, and so often... I just have to kill one infantry unit that turn, I get three points out of my opponent. I use this against orcs repeatedly. I use it against the Drukhari MSU build. And, um, you know, I, I found it, it's, it used to be a much better secondary um, with the MSU Drukhari builds everywhere and the sisters builds, but it's still pretty decent in some situations. So I had a quick question for you about uncharted sequencing before we move on to the next army. Uh, when do you get to choose uh, the order of those objectives? Is it after you see deployment or is it uh, when you choose the secondary? I believe it's when you choose the secondary, you write it on your, your actual list. Okay, perfect. Um, but you'll know the mission going in. Of course. Um, so I didn't, so yeah, I had to pick it before we deployed and all that stuff. So I didn't see where his army was deployed. Uh, I just so happened to write it in an area and I kind of deployed my army. In hindsight, Anthony saw how I deployed my army was, it was already mostly on the side that I wanted to create into Hammer and Anvil. So it kind of telegraphed it a little bit, um, but I don't think he quite picked up on it. And because he put a lot of pressure on the other flank. Maybe he just thought he'd deny primary points, and he really did. Um, so it, it kind of worked in his favor and, and kept the game close. But at the end of the day, I did end up getting a 12 on it. Didn't expect the 15, but 12 out of a secondary is still very good. Very nice. All right, so uh, moving on, I actually want to talk about Orcs next. Because uh, I know you played against Orcs uh, several times yep. at LVO. Mm -hmm. um, so Orcs right now kind of have the two different archetypes. They've got uh, the Goff Rushdown, something that our own Mark Perry uh, was talking about last week, and as a matter of fact, you had the pleasure of playing against Mark. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will also talk about some of the shootier uh, builds in a second. But let's start off with the Goths. Um, how do you feel against the super aggressive melee armies? Um, are they ever able to get into your Rust Stalkers and kind of take out your melee before you get a counterpunch, or what do you do to avoid that? 
So I ended up playing against two Gothless, Mark Perry, like you said, and round one, I played against uh, Taylor, who was running a very similar build to Mark, and um, both of them ended up going first. So uh, Taylor went ahead and played extremely aggressive. Everything was on the line, went first, moved, advanced up the table, and was like, cool, the whole Goth army is going to hit you turn two if you don't do anything. So in that case, I had to be very cautious. I played super defensive. It was retrieval. And I accepted that I wasn't getting stranglehold. I was going to lose some points here, but I was going to come back in the later turns. And what I did was I lined up my infiltrators and my vanguards such that um, they wouldn't be very easily able to get through. So everything that wanted to charge me and hit me the next turn was going to hit those two units. And if they ended up dying, they died for the cause. And that let my the rest of my army do the job. And that's what ended up happening is my first shooting phase killed the kill rigs and ended up putting a lot of damage into um, some of the aggressive troop elements. And the following turn went into all those squig hogs and was able to start killing characters with rust stalkers. And by that point, didn't have a lot left. Mark played more cagey uh, than that because I think he kind of sensed the amount of damage I do. The closer you get to me, the more damage I do. Um, and so he tried to play a little bit cagey, trade the minimum of mega knobs and a character to try and snipe stuff. But man, the turn I was minus one to hit in combat he just, he really flubbed his lines there, didn't do very much damage, killed like a couple rangers. And at that point, he was so far behind the eight ball because I had bottom of the turn that uh, he just couldn't come back at that point. Um, I think in hindsight, he was like, I better roll the dice next time and just go for the coin flip and see if I can put enough pressure on you. But uh, using, because I have two ranger bricks, I have a lot of leeway in trading one of them to move block my opponent, force him to put all the damage into the main buffed up one. And then the second turn, I still have a ranger brick and I still got all the other shooting. Uh, I just I don't think the Goths build can really compete with them. Having played the two matchups, I think it's very Admech favored, in my opinion. Um, the fight last axis is amazing for Admech, too. It lets me engage in two different places at once, and I'm not as concerned about the, the fight on death because I'm already killing the key unit, and they'll kill a couple Rust Dockers in return, but that's fine. So what's scarier is, like John mentioned, the shooting builds, because they have squig buggies. And there's a reason that um, squig buggies were nerfed in the last chapter proved. They are an insanely efficient platform against my army. And that is because they are in Speedwa, AP3, which I like things being AP2 because I can ignore them or at least mitigate their damage. And they're two damage. So they're very efficient into my Rust Stalkers and my Counter Assault. And I ended up playing somebody with uh, three squig buggies. They had the, the two Wazboom jets, which can do an insane amount of damage as well. That list is just scary for Admech because it has more guns than the Admech list and it also has much better indirect fire uh, that can pick up my stuff before I really get to use it. Um, those quick swig buggies are blast as well, so they can do a ton of damage. My saving grace was the fact that there was dense cover on almost every piece uh, on every board here. In particular, um, once you got to the top tables, it was mostly Gothic Ruins table, and so each player got one dense terrain piece. And this means minus one to hit to incoming shooting. Well, that's the best defensive mechanic you can have against orcs, stacked with all the other ones Admech has. And what I did in that game was put the forest down behind the big ruin where I can hide most of my army and put everything that was important into the forest. So everything was touching, and his first turn, he flew the two planes up, he went ahead and shot the squake buggies, and killed only a couple things, and mostly damaged some of my things that I could heal uh, with my tech priests. And because of that, to get the angle to try and kill, get grind them down and stuff, I was able to get my own angles back on the uh, the orcs. And because the planes um, don't benefit from obscuring, 
I kind of was able to stay in that position, kill the planes, and kill some of the aggressive elements while getting my points. And from there, I just had a massive advantage because the planes didn't do anything, really, damage-wise. And I got to stay in the forest, soak up another turn of damage. And then once they're out of the speed wall and no longer have the AP, um, I can walk up with the ignore AP 1 and 2 ranger unit with plus 1 save, fire point, telemetry, cash, and just soak up every orc damage uh, in the game. So that matchup is more scary for me, the shooting one, but it's less common now that uh, orcs, and it's going to be certainly less common even now that uh, orcs got further points increases on them. So I hear you say the WAS bomb did nothing, and I'm just, I'm just not. It's not for lack of rolling well. Um, the forest, man, the forest minus one to hit is a big, big deal. Look, I just remember WAS bombs being assault twelve auto hit. I don't, I don't know what you played against, but I'm it, it pretty sure that. it's a twelve shot flamer. Now the uh, <laughs> the big thing here, um, besides the forest, was the fact that um, being able to kind of get the angles. He didn't want to just come up and he picked engage and he picked grind them down. So he was concerned about trying to proc free Buddhas and get grind them down at the same time and also get engaged. And so it put it, the planes at weird angles. And um, I think that that played into my hands. So like the secondary choices aren't automatic for that orc list. And I kind of played that to my advantage. Do you think uh, his target priority was skewed based on his secondaries and trying to uh, trying to get points as the game went on? He needed to kill the Iron Striders. That, that was the thing, and he just didn't target them turn one because he had other things to deal with. Gotcha. So uh, for if for any orc uh, generals who maybe try to brave the point changes, um, I've always seen orcs as an army that tries to take the first one or two turns and do crippling damage, and if you can score points while doing so, all the better. But I feel like some armies go for points on turn one, and some people go for damage on turn one. I, I've always thought of orcs as an army that, should, when it gets the chance to do damage, it should prioritize key targets over actual points. So you, you think then that uh, trying to go for Iron Striders remove your ability to efficiently scoop multiple vehicles in a turn would have been his best bet? Yeah. Like, I feel like Scorpius aren't very efficient for you he, in the matchup. He, he tried to kill the Scorpius tank. I feel he, like the Scorpius he, is the worst thing here. He was worried about the... Because he had the bikes. He had all the bikes. And oh. he didn't want the Scorpius tank because it's his only obsec. And without the obsec, he can't really deal with the Rangers on the middle objectives. So I understood it. But at the same time, because he... Def- played very defensive with his other other elements. He could have, in fact, flew the planes off into strategic reserve, accepted because he knew I popped the plus one to hit, the reroll hit and wound and damage roll, just fly them off, take no damage on his own turn or minimal, and then come back, come down the second turn, because I also don't have a lot of things I want to just screen, especially mm-hmm. with all those bikers flying around the board. And we talked about this after the game. He was like, man, I, you know, this could have been the play that uh, actually made this game quite a bit closer, and it would have forced me to come away from the forest, and that, was a, that would have been a huge deal as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know that that's very interesting. So this was the army of renown that I take it. Yes, the speedwall army of renown. Understood. Okay. Um, yeah, I would I would think absolutely. You know, letting you get a couple more points early if that involves you leaving the forest. Yeah, I think you you be, have to become okay with that as the orc player because I I've watched uh, orcs shoot at forests before and there's something in the trees. Uh, orcs <laughs> just don't believe in, in hitting things in the trees. No, the, the, those trees are just bullet soakers they're just soaking it up the whole game it was amazing okay all right well, uh, sounds like my golf game to be fair anytime there's trees <laughs> just missing <laughs> oh man um let's uh let's move on into some of the hive mind here um so there, there's two aspects to this one is uh force the hive mind the second is crusher stampede i'll save forces for last because it's my favorite um so crusher stampede i know you mentioned this was one of the reasons that you uh brought the uh the last chickens along 
Uh, do you end up playing against Crusher Stampede this weekend? I didn't play against any Tyranids or Forces of the Hive Mind. <sighs> and as you saw from part one, like I talked about, I tailored the particular elements in this list to be able to deal with those. I, and I didn't get to play against it. I still, I, I still feel, I'm going to be honest with you, I feel like Forces of the Hive Mind is your worst matchup. Probably. And I feel like Crusher is not good, not bad, but it's definitely not easy. Um, man, okay, okay. Well, let's, let's kind of go through it then. Um, so let's start with Crusher Stampede. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, Laz Chickens are great at targeting 18 wound models, yep. but um, I guess uh, starting off, I, my worry here is that with Toughness 8 models with an invuln, if they're able to deal with the Iron Striders early, let's say uh, they go first, they're able to kill you know, one or two of them, uh, do you think that the Rangers and the, the Scorpius and the Rustalkers are going to be able to pick off T8 monsters at range? Because I feel like there is that threat that at a certain point the Hive Guard are picking up two wound models faster than your Scorpius are contributing. And I, I wonder if, you know, the Tyranids can use their superior speed and uh, an indirect to, after, you know, maybe a bloody turn one, make a very, you know, standoff turn two and three while they have a mission advantage. Yeah, Is that a scenario that concerns you? You're 100% right that these are the hardest matchups, and that's why I actually, you know, like I talked about, put the vehicles in here, because I think they actually do help. Now... They're not, you don't put the vehicles in you're expecting. Now this matchup turns to 80% in my favor. Not not even close. I think these are very, I think Forces is, is favored probably like 60-40, maybe even higher than that. And then Crusher Stampede is closer to 50-50 because with first turn, I think it's just a huge advantage for Admech. Um, and the reason is, is because the Ranger Bricks in Veteran Cohort get access to plus one to wound. And between that and Wrath of Mars, without Catalyst up, you can actually do crippling damage to these monsters, even without the Iron Striders. Because both Ranger Bricks get the extra, uh, the plus one to wound against the target. And then you could go ahead and put the Scorpius tanks and the Iron Striders and try and kill two of the big monsters. And by the time you kill two, you maybe even you get to the third one and start putting a little chip damage on it. You've really slowed down the amount of turn after turn pressure they can put on you, which will let you get to the Hive Guard. Um, now going second, you're going to have to be play very careful. I think you trade one of the Ranger Bricks in that case and just slow them down with that. Um, the Rust Stalkers are the main thing I assume they would target with the Hive Guard. And in that case, you know, you're not going to have as much counter assault as you do. Um, if it's a short, if it's like Dawn of War deployment, maybe they do go after the uh, Iron Striders. But a lot of these lists weren't taking the Mouse Scepter. So they don't reroll damage there. And with plus one save, so you're sitting on a two up, you're going to take four ups against the Hive Guard. They're wounding on threes. It's not automatic they kill you. And if you get the Forest on the board, like I said, they're hitting on fours, Chapter Master. It's not automatic that they just pick up uh, things in your army. So I definitely think this is a close matchup, but the Iron Striders are what I think really helps because they can do that swing damage where all of a sudden a monster is just dead from two Iron Striders. And that's only 170 points to your army. Now we're going to move on to doing the rest of the damage with the army into another monster. Yeah, the the Iron Striders are scary. It feels like Custodes Bikes where whenever I shoot Custodes Bikes or Crusher Stampede, I either do 15 damage or zero. Yeah. But the Iron Striders are cheap. And as long as they exist, the Crusher, you know, the Crusher Stampede player, like you, you can't rely on it, right? You, the Admech player, you can't rely on the Iron Striders doing anything. It's so easy to re-roll a two into a two, and then they make their one five up save, and then you did nothing. But the Crusher Stampede player can't rely on it either. Yep. And I think that means that they kind of have to start the target priority there. Yep. I would guess that on a nice long deployment zone, maybe if you were to play them on the scouring or battle lines or retrieval. Um, I would guess that that's a scenario where they're going to really struggle to get to the last chickens. Yep. And I think that those deployments, you have an advantage. Definitely. I, I would agree. Dawn of War is much tougher because you can't, you just can't hide from Hive Guard. Absolutely. Um, now, the other thing is 
Um, it depends on how experienced they are against veteran court because with the Rangers, I would be willing to trade them um, because I don't want to use, like I talked about in the first part, don't want to use plus one to wound every turn. It's two CP. Plus you want to use Galvanic Fire, Wrath of Mars. You're just going to run out of CP immediately. So mm-hmm. I don't think the, I think the Rangers are good as delaying screens here and as advance and charge plays on my opponent's objective. So I wound a monster in the middle and set up an advance and charge play with the Rangers to get onto their side of the board because they don't have a lot of screens. And if I'm able to get in there and tag the hive guard with them, that would be a huge deal. Taraxi would be another option if I had brung, you know, Taraxi. You can give them ignore AP 1 and 2 plus 1 save, firepoint telemetry cash, and be able to get up the board and tag those hive guard when needed. But I just didn't have them here, and I relied on more of the raw damage that I could put out. Um, but I uh, agree with all your analysis. The, thing, the reason that the forces list is scarier is because they have those delaying tools. You're never getting to the hive guard against a good player. And so you have to accept that hive guard are going to shoot you each turn. And the forces list are more likely to have a mal scepter as well as the malanthrope. So they have extra defensive mechanics like minus one strength, bringing Scorpius tanks from uh, strength five to strength four, wounding hive guard on fives. They might be ignoring AP one and two. On top of that, they might also be minus one to hit, even though you can kind of counteract that with some of the Doctrinas and the Engine Seer. That's all just bad news. And I think that if I played Alex McDougal, that would have been the toughest possible game I could have played, uh, the toughest possible list. Not unbeatable. Um, if I go first, I think I cripple one of the Devil Gaunt units. And then, um, you know, I, I have to put my army up in the middle of the table. And how much damage is he going to do with one Ranger Brick screening? it's ignoring ap1 and 2 the hive guard don't easily kill that um maybe i survive and protect myself from his combat and then i hit him with the advanced charge rust stalkers i think that's probably how that game plays out on a dawn of war situation on hammer and anvil i can play a little more cagey and just whittle down the devil gaunts and then move my army in the middle but it's i didn't end up playing the matchup but those two are the biggest worries for me in my opinion going into the event it's interesting because uh, I was watching one of Alex's games and his hive guard got tagged turn one. Uh, I can't remember the opponent he's playing, but obviously someone with a super fast unit can, was able to get up there, tag the hive guard. But then the unit that tagged the hive guard was killed with uh, just all of the psychic. Yeah, it was. Uh, service Raiders. He, he came and talked to me about it, and I was like, So did he pop the five of Funo Pain Strat? And he was like, What? They have that? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you really need yeah. to make sure those servers. Maybe he was just confident they wouldn't die, but I would 100% 100% uh, spend that, especially if I move my army in the middle of the board. Um, and like I said, that's why I would have loved to have some Severus Raiders. Um, they're very helpful because Tyranids don't have forward deploy and pregame moves to help block that out. Uh, so, and they don't want to do it with pure streams, obviously. Uh, going going second. Um, it does lead me to think in that in that matchup, if you were going to play against Alex, how important is your lack of psychic defense? It's going to be even more important in the new missions coming up because mental interrogation is an absurdly powerful secondary now. It's 24-inch range, no line of sight, pick a character, warp charge four, three points. Turn after turn after turn. Admech doesn't have psychic defense outside of Graia, and Graia is by far the worst Forge World, so you're never seeing it, and you can't soup in Forge Worlds anymore. So psychic defense is going to be at a minimum. Uh, you could run a normal Admech list and bring in an Inquisitor um, to try and have some psychic play there but you cannot bring them into the veteran cohort. Every model must be Skitari. So uh, you can't bring the Inquisitor there, no psychic defense. That is a hit against uh, Admech uh, and the veteran cohort going into the new meta, for sure. Something to think about. Man, I didn't even realize that you couldn't take uh, you couldn't take an Inquisitor in the army no, right now. Literally everything has to have a Skitari keyword, and the only exemptions are one of each tech priest. Okay, okay. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I honestly really wish that I could have seen you and Alex in the finals. Um, I, I fully agree. I think that he had uh, some of the best tools to deal with you. Yeah. But um, uh, let, let's let's talk about uh, forces a little bit more before we uh, move on to the Imperium. But um, I, I am curious, you know, if you, you talked about if you go first, try to delete a, a Devil Gaunt blob, do you think that first turn mattered a lot? Because I think the other way where if the forces yeah. player went first, um, I, I worry, you know, they get to position the Devil Gaunts with a redeploy in a really good spot. The hide guards start hammering. Uh, I actually think, I know you normally like going second. I think I would rather go first against yeah. you if I was playing my forces. 100%. I think first turn is massive. And that's part of just indirect not being great for the game overall. It really encourages going first and putting an alpha on somebody. So in this case, at minimum, if I go first, I get to force the two CP out of the Mouse Scepter because I don't think you can afford to lose two or three Hive Guard for my Scorpius tanks. Um, so spending those two CP, that's massive. Tyranids are extremely CP intensive. Um, but it means I have to go into the Devil Gaunts, and I'm perfectly fine because Devil Gaunts, honestly, are sometimes even scarier than the Hive Guard. Um, John might even say oftentimes. So I don't mind going and trading into them. However, if he goes first, he's going to pick up, decide what he wants to pick up. Um, I imagine that he he would probably try and whittle down either my Obsec or the Rust Stalkers. Uh, I think those would be the obvious plays. I don't think he should go into the Scorpius tanks, but who knows? Like people get baited into Scorpius tanks all the time. Like uh, maybe he would go for them, and I'd be like, "Heck yeah, let you shoot into them. You keep going. Nice. Make sure it's dead because I can heal this guy." I don't know about Alex, but I promise that is the last thing he would shoot. Yeah, the, I know. The physical I know. last thing. I know. <laughs> One can dream, but I, I agree. Going first, I think, is massive in the matchup, especially on the Dawn of Wars, because mm-hmm. there is no hiding there. Uh, whereas on Hammer and Anvil, you could go second and just play very defensive and accept that. Yeah, this is probably going to be a tight game at the end. You might have the disadvantage, but with with Tyranids, things can still swing. I've seen John roll the Devil Gaunts, and man, sometimes they just don't do as much as they should have. Or the Hive Guard. All of a sudden, there's a bunch of twos to wound, and you're like, that was not the turn for that. So, you know, I I would accept. I would probably prefer playing on the Hammer Anvils, and if I had to play a, a defensive game, just make it come down to our decisions, and hopefully, I swing an advantage somewhere. Right on. Well, uh. Yep. Let's let's swing over into the Imperium before I turn this entire podcast into a Forces episode. Uh, we'll have to have Alex on in the future to talk about that. Um, so going through the Imperium here, um, I'm actually I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm so sorry, everyone. Uh, I'm going to skip Space Marines. Um, it hurts. <laughs> what? Well, that's an arrow straight through the heart. I, it hurts it's me too. Hard. It really does. But uh, I'm actually going to leap directly into the Adeptus Custodes or as I call them, Primaris 3.0, um, you know, you just take your Primaris Marines, give them another extra wound, right? Um, let's, uh, this is the matchup you played in the finals, this is the matchup you played in the semifinals, you had to burn through, did you only play the two Custodes players? Yeah, that, those are the first two times I played them. Okay, um, let's talk about that. You got two radically different builds. Yeah. Uh, Evan uh, Thompson's build was relatively similar to the one that Jack and I uh, ended up running, whereas Matt Laura ended up on a very different Shadowkeeper's route. Uh, Kind of talk to me about how you approach those matchups. So Custodes are a very elite army. They have a handful of resources, and those resources are very tanky. The amount of stratagem support they get, being able to turn off rerolls, transhuman access, uh, all for one CP. They have CP regen. Uh, they also have the Warden uh, unit plus characters, so they can bodyguard out on open objectives, uh, mitigating my shooting. It's a very scary army, extremely powerful. Um, so what it came down to, terrain placement was going to be huge. And, you know, being able to, Evan went ahead and placed a ruin on the middle of the board that didn't have very many windows in it. 
And that meant that he could run the wardens into there and then string out to somebody like Trajan sitting on the center objective. And custodies count as two models now, and those mo- those infantry models are obsec. So I can't just send five Vanguard out there and take down control of that objective. I gotta send the 20 Rangers, or I need to try and kill them in combat. So against them, the biggest thing for me, and I talked a little bit about in the first part, was I need to save my CP for the Rust Stalkers. They are the most efficient and reliable thing for killing custodies. Because um, Evan had four Fiona Pain access because he was Emperor's uh, Chosen. And then Matt had uh, the minuses to hit and attack and uh, turning off rerolls to hit uh, from Shadow Keepers. So they both had different types of mechanics. Against um, Evan, I just went ahead and sent one unit at a time because only one unit was going to be in Shadow Keepers. And um, because of uh, the nature of his list and how he played it, he sent the Wardens up immediately and put uh, Trajan out there. And I was like, okay, if Trajan dies, no more CP regen, and I'm probably going to force a bunch of CP just in this combat alone. Um, Rostockers are amazing into Custodes because they have optimized Gate, a rule on their data sheet that ignores all modifiers to their movement, charge, and advance and charge rolls. So Tanglefoot doesn't work on Rostockers, which is a huge deal. Um, and so the Rostockers went into Trajan, and I sent a full unit in. I What I should have done that first turn is split attacks because I massively overkilled Trajan and tried to pick up at least one or two of the Wardens. But I didn't do that. I was like, just make sure Trajan dies, and we'll go from there, because the Wardens weren't on the objective. Or no, they were, but I had my Vanguard alive. Um, So I went in there, killed Trajan, got rid of the CP regen, and that ended up being a huge deal in my opinion. And uh, in addition to that, um, I was able to turn after turn whatever he sent up kind of trade into, the big turn for me against him was the two Galadus dreads went into the middle. I whittled one to one wound with my shooting, and I was like, perfect. I still have a ton of guns. I'm going to go every single gun to the other dread, kill it, charge my rangers into the one wound dread, get on the objective with my obsec, wrap it, and just be a nightmare to deal with. And then I put the other dreadnought at one wound with all the rest of my shooting, and there were two one wound Galadus dreads wrapped with all my rangers in the middle of the table. It forced me to charge the second ranger unit in there just to try and survive. And luckily I did. And it created a new problem. It wasn't my plan, but it created a new problem for Evan where I actually had a lot of obsec on the middle and bikes no longer are obsec. And that ended up being a huge deal. He came into the middle and couldn't quite trade as efficiently against the five of invulns on the Rangers. And that swung the game back in my favor. But really it was the fact that he traded out an obsec unit. Um, He got a little too casual with the obsec unit. Instead of move advancing it behind the middle ruin and then moving it up turn five, he moved it out in the open and it's, you know, often against custodies, you have like one target to shoot at. I just put every gun in there, pick them up, and that swung the game back in my favor. But Evan was definitely leading uh, for most of that game, especially when those two Galadus Dreads survived. So um, if we probably play that again, the custodies definitely have an advantage. Sweep and Clear is a tough mission to play custodies on. Um, absolutely very, very difficult matchup for Admech. Rust Stalkers are the only saving grace here. Without Rust Stalkers, uh, Admech would suffer massively in this matchup. Um, I really wish I had the three ten mans, uh, particularly for this this meta. Um, and then um, Matt's list, on the other hand, has those defensive buffs like I talked about. The turn that I went in, I was plus one weapon skill, plus one strength, and then the big unit went to strength seven with the one CP strat, and that let me actually kill Trajan and the uh, the Dread. But I didn't do a lot of damage elsewhere, and it was only because he rolled extremely poorly on the bike captain. The bike captain had to take, I think, 12 5 of pains, and he failed 10 of them. He should have survived with a wound or two and ended up dying, and that was uh, unfortunate for Evan uh, or Matt because uh, it really swung it in my favor. But 
normally the bike captain would survive there. He'd still have a Galadus. It only took three wounds from like six rock stalkers and he would have lost two main pieces. And I think the game is pretty even at that point and it's going to swing back and forth depending on how well the other turns go. So neither of these games were easy at all. I think this is a very tough matchup and um, rock stalkers are the only thing that even makes this close in my opinion. Considering how many uh, Custodes armies we're likely to see going forward and how good they are now, and the fact that we've got new missions, uh, how do you feel about this matchup? You specifically mentioned Sweep and Clear, which is what made me think of it, but, uh, and I know every mission's different, but they have a different feel. These missions, with everything kind of being more in the middle, how do you feel this matchup goes if you're playing one of the new missions from the new book? I So I think, it's, I think the missions themselves, just where the objectives are, are better for Custodes. I think this changes the secondaries are worse for them. Um, not not terrible, but um, losing some of the mission-specific secondaries and having to kind of change around their game plan. Um, they're probably still going to take raised banners more often than not, and they're probably still going to go for things like grind them down or you know one of the kill secondaries because they don't give up one in return. Probably stick with Stranglehold. They still got their core of secondaries, but it's not quite as easy as it was. Um, I, I think we're going to see tons of custodians, especially with the points drops coming. Uh, this is a matchup. The Scorpius tanks were horrifically bad in both these games. And if I didn't spend, you know, uh, you know, 290 points on these two tanks, plus the, the 80 points for the engine seer and had anything else, um, it would have been massively helpful. I would have loved to have the old infiltrator unit with the power swords, the big unit here, just to help as another uh, melee tool. So that was that was a big, big deal. And uh, I was just lucky that Rustalkers are that good. So <clears throat> there's been a little bit of a debate raging in the Custodes forums about, uh, uh, you know, Shadow Keepers versus Emperor's Chosen. Uh, I am curious, you know, on the one hand, Emperor's Chosen has uh, a lot of flexibility and that four up against mortals, whereas Shadow Keepers has that minus one attack and potential minus one strength. Into you, did one of the set of defensive buffs feel more effective than the other? Was there uh, one of the two armies that you had more trouble killing versus less? I think it came down to stylistically how they played. Evan only ever wanted to trade one and two things at absolute max. And Evan was like, uh, or or sorry, Evan wanted to only trade, um, you know, minimum one, two thing, uh, two things at max. And then Matt was like, I'm just going to put my army out here and see how much damage you can do. And I don't think he had played against the Rustalkers before uh, or the shooting that Mars can put out. He did tell me before he just didn't have very much experience into Admech. So... He kind of underestimated the damage, and if he didn't heroic with Trajan there, what would have ended up happening was I once again maybe kill the bike. It could have swung if he rolled uh, average on his feel no pains, and then I kill one of the dreads and wound the second one. And with committing my army, that's not great. Um, that if I don't if he did not heroic uh, Trajan, I think he would have been in a really good spot. And I set that plan up as if he's gonna in, he's gonna heroic Trajan. Of course he is. So. I planned on him heroicing and being able to split attacks um, and efficiently try and deal with him. But um, if if he just stayed back and was patient, I honestly think I would have been in a much worse spot overall and probably didn't do enough damage to his army. And boy, if the bike captain didn't swing my way, that, that could have been very bad. So um, I, I think Shadowkeeper's defense is a little bit better, in my opinion. The four up against mortals is great, um, mind you. But what ended up happening was I just got less wounds through, and so had less chances for the the sixes on mortals. Um, although I think one unit did roll quite well on the mortals. Um, so you, you never know with Rust Stalkers, but I think I think Shadow Keepers was a little tougher, and it forced me to be in the turn where I was plus one weapons go plus one strength, and I had to spend three CP that turn on various buffs. 
So I think that was uh, a bit tougher, but I don't think if he just played it slower, because against Shadow Keepers, you can't put one unit into that stuff and think it's going to kill something. You have to put multiple, and I put every single Rust Stalker out there, and that's how I was able to do as much damage. But if he played a slightly safer trading game and try put the put enough that I have to really commit multiple Rust Stalker units, but not enough where I'm going to cripple his army, I think he would have been in a really great spot going into those final couple turns. Okay, right on, right on. Um, let's uh, let's think about some other Imperium armies that we want to talk about. Um, uh, I know you you ended up playing against Grey Knights at least once. Uh, Grey Knights was always an, an army that I thought would be an interesting matchup for you, but uh, just because of like the weight of damage to that thing, get off of Dread Knights. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, um, you know, keeping in mind that Grey Knights did uh, take some changes for the worse. Yeah. Do you think that that matchup has the potential to be challenging for like the Rust Stalker heavy list? It's it's kind of like on lighter terrain, it actually is somewhat annoying in that they can get angles onto you. But uh, I played against Grey Knights in round three on Vital Intelligence, and he was able to get the angles on me. And in fact, he played extremely aggressively, which I did not expect. So he disembarked from his rhinos, sent his strike marines out, and then he sent every, he teleported one Dread Knight and Gate of Affinity another one and walked a different one out onto an objective into a firing angle. And committed pretty much all of his Dread Knights as well as a bunch of Strike Marines and was right in my face. Typically that doesn't happen, especially with a Grey Knight army. They kind of don't want to plink away and whittle you down and win in the late game, just get a points lead. But he put everything out there and I was like, all right, plus one save um, in cover um, at the start of the turn because I was like, I didn't want to take any extra damage. And that ended up mattering a lot. Cover is a great rule to have, plus one army, army wide, uh, plus one save army wide, very good as well. I took a lot less damage than he thought he would do to me. And I responded with the full hammer blow of, I'm going to pick up all but one of your Dread Knights, it's wounded, and I'm going to pick up all the infantry in front of me. And I was able to cripple him there. But uh, against the stereotypical kind of four Dread Knight list that you'll probably still end up seeing, um, it's definitely, you have to play very, very careful and try and mitigate the early game damage so you, stuff survives. Because if four Dread Knights are just shooting you turn after turn, you are going to die. Um, but thankfully, the def extra defensive layers of Mars really did help here in mitigating early damage that I took. But um, because they have Purifying Ritual, it's a really free secondary for Grey Knights. You have to have something else. Luckily, I'm not taking a Psyker, so I have 15 points on the Poor the Witch waiting in the bank. So those cancel each other out, and it's going to come down to our other secondaries. And for me, that meant making sure that he lost resources to score Engage. Um, because Grey Knights have relatively expensive units... Uh, when you pick engage with Grey Knights, you're committing something every single turn to at least one other quarter, at least three of the total four quarters, um, and maybe sometimes all four. Grey Knights don't have the resources to play the trading game into Admech by committing those engage each turn. So I ended up winning the... Uh, because he played so aggressively, I killed enough resources that his secondary game at the latter part uh, just didn't hold up. One of the things I'm hearing a lot, um, and this is just stylistically across all the armies, is that the person you're playing against just needed a little bit more patience into your army. It feels like a, a lot of the armies you're up against just want to try that alpha strike, get rid of the threats that you've got in your army as fast as they can turn one, turn two. And in a lot of cases, it turned out that was a mistake. Committing everything to the center of the board turned out to be a mistake. If people are a little more patient in general against a build like this, is that going to play better for them? Yeah, the closest game that I ended up playing um, were against. Um was against Evan and he was leading after that uh that one play that failed for me and it, the patience he, he was just so patient putting the bare minimum out there and when it's as durable and swingy as uh, some of those custodius units 
those could have just swung against me. Uh, I could have made a couple extra invulns than he otherwise would have, and my play fails. And that type of game, it used to be that Admech just had the extra couple units because of the points um, that from the Codex, that you could commit two things in that case. Or you could commit one thing, and the next turn you'll see it went against me. Well, I'm going to commit in two different places and get those points back. Admech just don't have the resources to do that anymore. So every time you commit something, you don't have as much redundancy, and you need to make sure it works. And that's why the CP discipline is so important, because the CP is what makes things work. Um, so... I definitely think patience is a key against this list because it does so much damage in two different phases in the shooting and combat phase that if you just sit your army out there and accept all of that, you're just not going to have a lot, a lot left. And um, that can what happens in that situation is you just can't kill the obsec and my obsec ends up winning me the game. And typically that is how the late game ends up turning out is my rangers, yeah, they're a shooting unit, but they're also one of the best board control units in the game. And I put them out there um expecting that my opponent can't deal with them quick enough where they can't get rid of my points uh lead so admech yes you want to play that relatively defensive you know, kind of water style wait for my opponent see what they're doing but late game you put your resources out there especially these obsec durable units and can my opponent deal with them quick enough before i just completely solidify my points lead and get my 90 plus points um you have to be willing to to get rid of every single unit in your army if it means winning the game on points. That's something I think a lot of Admech players don't quite set up, is they're kind of just stuck in their deployment zone all game, and you really can't be on these missions. Especially in the new ones, right? And uh, it feels like troops and obsec units are going to be even more important now because they've got extra ways to be gaining points through the new missions. Absolutely. All right, well, I think that wraps up all the questions that I had for you, Richard. Uh, Were there any other armies that uh, going in you were particularly worried about? Anything else that really was uh, in your nightmares? Uh, hilariously, the that Iron Hands build with the the Land Raider with all the Meltas on it mm-hmm. is very annoying to deal with for my army. Um, I could kill it, but I also don't want to dedicate all my CP to trying to do that because at the end of the day, it doesn't kill my army that fast. So Iron Hands were an issue. I went ahead and played against Ken Knox, and that was a relatively close game. I got to go first and kill his Fire Raptor, and that gave me a nice advantage. But just dealing with the extra durability that Iron Hands have it was pretty annoying. The Scorpius tanks barely did anything, and even the Iron Striders, uh, they didn't do very much. So that was actually a, a tougher matchup than I would have thought, but uh, Ken played it excellently. Well, there you go. That shows me for skip Space Marines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Those, uh, those Scorpius tanks really didn't do very much for you. This is no, a, they were completely thing. abysmal for being a 300-plus points on my list. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a buddy named Aaron who's... Just thinking about putting those tanks into his list, he'll be very interested to hear that because uh, Aaron, they're gone now. Don't worry about those. Get rid of those. <laughs> more Rust Stalkers. Yeah, more Rust Stalkers. Always more Rust Stalkers. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right, so are we done? Are we all are we all good and all wrapped up? Uh, again, uh, Richard, thank you so much. John, thanks for being here, folks. Uh, we know that you're a subscriber because you have to be to be listening to this. So. Let's go. Go get more content with Unbroken, with Art of War Down Under. Adam, <laughs> Adam's finally getting his voice back after a massive weekend of commentating at LVO. And I know Blake was there as well, and Brad was there, and the whole team were there representing at LVO. So uh, they're back, and they're producing content. Go get it in the war room. Have a look at coaching. Have a look at all of the available content. Honestly, I can't tell you. Uh, I, was, I said before I was having this conversation with someone, I cannot recommend the war room 
highly enough for just the ability to ask questions, have conversations with players, the coaches that are available, all of the all of the great resources that we have to become better players. And that is the mission of the team at The Art of War. Uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. In the meantime, he's Richard Siegler. He's John Lennon. I'm Steve Joel. And this is The Art of War. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.